Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. Welcome to Boonville Worship Center. Lord, we thank you, God, for this opportunity, Lord, to look at your word, God, to receive from your word. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, God, you would give us a heart to understand, God, and to desire to respond rightly, God, to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as many of you probably saw on Facebook or heard um, on Sunday when Julianne announced it, tonight we I will be starting um, a two-part series on faith that gains God's approval out of Hebrews 11. So we will be going verse by verse through Hebrews 11. There are 40 verses. We will go through um, 20 tonight and then 20 next week. And there are parts of Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 12 that are also relevant to the conversation. I probably won't touch that tonight, um, but will next week. So, but first... As we're looking at this topic of faith, faith that gains God's approval, before we just jump into the topic and dive in, I think it's important to ask some key questions. How many of you know if you approach the text of the Bible and just begin reading, you probably won't get as much insight into the text as if you as if when you pause before you begin to read and you begin to think through the topic and begin to think of what are the questions that I need to be asking anointed questions lead us to revelation more often than just jumping into the text and beginning to read. So as we're talking about this topic of faith, I really want to examine briefly what are the underlying assumptions that we have about what faith is and how it works. So as kind of a bigger context, I have been really looking into and studying from the ground up the topic of biblical counseling. Um, I have I've have more books on the topic than I know how to read in a in a year, and I've been but I've been reading through them, and I've been intrigued by them in a way that I would not have been able to predict ten or fifteen years ago. It is something that is awakening my heart as I begin to look at how God created humans to function, and when you look at problems that we face, whether that be pains or addictions or strongholds or marital difficulties or anything like that, all of those things stem back to the reality of how God formed and fashioned us, what core needs did God give us, and am I looking to satisfy those needs in God or outside of God. So key questions help lead in the same way that key questions help lead a biblical counselor to understand and diagnose the main problems that arise in the soul. Key questions help us to understand and diagnose the scriptures. So as again, I'm, I'm asking that question of what are the underlying assumptions about faith that we have? All of us have underlying assumptions in life. It, that's what f- makes up the unconscious mind. The unconscious mind is the, the conclusions that we have about life, about how it works, about what life is about, about how to get my needs met, where do, where do I go to get my needs met, what are my needs, we, we have conclusions already on many of those topics and our mind doesn't even take time to think about them. 
So we jump right past the question. We jump right past, you know, the, the question of what is it that I think I need? What is it that I think I'm after? What method am I using to run after the thing that I think I need? Right? So in, in, in the same way, related to the Bible, we have assumptions about what we think faith is, what we think faith accomplishes. But as, as, as we're looking through Hebrews 11, I really want to slow down and begin to ask questions. So we often embrace faith and fervent prayer. Why? Because we're expecting extraordinary results. Yes? We, we want to embark on a life of faith because we've heard stories of those that had extravagant faith and saw extravagant results. So if we're honest, most of the breakthroughs that we expect to occur, we want them quickly and we associate the strength of our expectation of those results with how much faith we feel and how strong we perceive that faith to be, right? In other words, there's a direct correlation between how much faith I feel like I have and then the strength of my expectation that God will answer. If I feel a lot of faith, then I will have a, a measure of certainty in my mind that God heard me, God heard me because I was emotional, God heard me because I was stirred, God heard me because, because I felt something dynamic inside of me. And because I felt faith, then my expectation for the results to be quick and dynamic and powerful increase. So we often think, if I feel more faith, then God's answer will be bigger and quicker. Does that sound about right? So naturally, we want to feel. But let's look back and ask a critical question. What is a significant source of offense, frustration, and emotional pain in a believer's walk? There's probably many. But in, in light of the topic at hand, I believe that surely one of these answers is the reality of unanswered prayer, or more accurately, prayer that is not answered in the way that we expect and in the time frame we expect. So many ultimately stop engaging with God in faith and in prayer, frustrated because the healing didn't come, the breakthrough didn't come, Revival didn't come. So we end up embarking on the journey of faith with high hopes because if I, if I feel powerful faith, then the powerful God is going to come through and, and break through and I'm going to see these amazing results. I'm going to see, I'm going to see a, a parent or a, or a child healed and delivered. I'm going to see revival. I'm going to see these breakthroughs. And then if we felt surges of faith and we didn't see the results that we expected, then we enter into this crisis. I felt powerful faith. I didn't see results. And then I'm tempted to walk away or to get frustrated at God or to take a season where I don't care. <laughs> In other words, we often measure our faith based on two criteria. How much faith do I feel? And did we get the answer and the breakthrough that we were having faith for? So that's, that's often how we're evaluating whether or not we had faith. Did I feel it? And did I get answers? So the real question we should be asking is if our underlying beliefs are true. What are the underlying assumptions that we have about faith? Here are a few that I believe are common, but also false. False assumption number one, faith can always be measured by feelings. False assumption number two, if our quantity or quality of faith is high enough, we will get the results that we want. If the quantity and quality of faith is high enough, we will get the results that we want. 
I believe that is a false assumption. And number three, if we don't get the answers to prayer that we had faith for, it proves that either our faith wasn't strong enough or it proves that God isn't good. That is another common assumption that we have. If I didn't get the results, either woe is me, I didn't have enough faith, or maybe God isn't good. And then the last false assumption that I have listed is that real faith is faith that quote unquote gets results. Real faith is faith that gets results. So we're gonna challenge these assumptions as we walk through Hebrews. So what questions will lead us to understanding biblical faith? So when we're talking about Hebrews 11, most people know that chapter probably primarily based upon the first verse. We're all familiar with the first verse. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, right? Everyone, we, we've, heard, we've heard that in one Bible translation or another. We've, we, we've heard that reality. And then we might be generally aware that there's a list of men and women of faith. But it's easy to skim over the list in Hebrews, perhaps in the same way that I would skim over the ingredients of a pizza box. Do you, does that ever happen to you when you're, when you're in, in the scriptures and you see a list of something? Might be a list of, you know, love is, you know, patient kind, but pay, you know, you, you, we just kind of run through the list. Or we say, these are the things that God hates, and we just kind of run through the list. Or the, this is the list of, you know, abominations that will lead people to hell, and we run through the list. It's kind of like we're reading the ingredients of a pizza box, look at, looking for how many grams of pepperoni are on the pizza. Sometimes we do that with passages like this, where we, we, we get to the first verse and we're like, faith is this. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We take that as the main passage, and then we don't really look that closely at the list of examples, and what do those examples say about faith? What can we actually learn from looking closely at those examples? So what are we looking for? We're looking to understand faith. What can we learn about faith, its quality, its object, and its result? Another question, does the timing of breakthrough speak positively or negatively about the quality of our faith? Is it relevant? Does the timing of, of the answer to our prayer, is that relevant to the quality of our faith? Page number two, can we define faith by any narrow concrete requirement? Another question, does faith always possess or lead to a certain set and certain act or manifestation of breakthrough? Does faith always lead to breakthrough? Another question, can faith be measured by our emotions? This is a good question. Is faith synonymous with psychological certainty? Is faith merely psychological certainty? Is our faith stronger if we stick our fingers in our ears and say, la, 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 I'm not listening when someone is releasing to us a negative report about our health or about some other crisis in our life? Is faith stronger if I, if I just emotionally and firmly refuse to hear any details that might shake my faith? Does real faith deliver us from hardship? Does it sometimes deliver us? Does it always deliver us? So one of the main things that we're gonna observe as we go through these verses is looking at the difference between the quality of faith and the experience of faith for each of the people and the scenarios listed throughout the chapter. We're gonna be looking at the difference between the quality of faith and the experience of faith. I believe that they are completely separate. 
All right, so you can open your Bibles if you have them, or the verses are also listed in the notes. We're going to go verse by verse, and we are going to really take these questions that I just highlighted and look at underlying assumptions and see what can we gather, what can we understand about faith from the text. So let me first say what this is not. This is not a complete theology on the biblical doctrine of faith. That would take exponentially more weeks. I would have to look at key verses in the Old Testament, key verses in the New Testament, look at context, look at key Greek and Hebrew words, and dive into a complete theology of what completely does the Bible say about faith. So this is not that, but we do want to look closely at this one chapter of the Bible giving example after example of faith that gained God's approval and learn and see what we can learn from these examples that God gives. All right, Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Or you could say it this way, faith is being confident in what is hoped for, but not yet seen. So we have confidence that God has revealed something to us, but yet we don't yet have the tangible evidence that it's present. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's confidence in God, confidence in what God has said, but I do not believe that faith is psychological certainty. How many of you know that you could, we all can play games with our mind in order to convince us of anything we want? All you have to do is ignore the data that would challenge your belief system and then fill your mind with the data that reinforces your belief system. All of us can do that. If you want to believe that the earth is flat, you can fill your mind with what you perceive to be the data that proves that, and you can ignore the key questions that would expose the reality that the earth is not flat, and you can legitimately convince yourself that the earth is flat. You can obtain psychological certainty of things that are not necessarily true. So faith is not just doing that in the spiritual realm, where we just ignore all the quote-unquote bad data or the data that challenges the reality of God and the ability for God to break in. We're not just pushing that bad data away and then hyper-focusing on the positive affirmations of God's ability to break in. And then I obtain some, by the grit of my teeth, some psychological certainty that, that God's going to break in if my, if my emotions are stirred enough. So that is not what I believe to be biblical faith. So if is our faith in the feeling of assurance or the strength of our certainty, or is our faith in God himself, who both has the power and the goodwill desire to help us? Because if, 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 we, if we stumble into the trap of seeking psychological certainty, then I'm playing these games, trying to maintain this fine line of stirred up emotions that if I feel enough faith, then God will answer my prayer. And if I'm in that place, then I'm really putting more faith in the feeling of faith, right? The emotional high, the emotional surge of endorphins or whatever, I'm, I'm putting more faith in, in that feeling that I have faith then I am putting actual faith in an uncreated God that is sitting on his throne, that is full of actual tender mercies bent towards humanity that wants to lovingly take care of his children. So that's important. What is the object of my faith? I never want the object of my faith to be the feeling of faith. If I only want to reaffirm the feeling of faith then I, you, we've got to ask ourselves, are we having faith in God or are we having faith in faith? Faith in the idea of faith, faith in the feeling of faith. So now we have this key verse, verse two. 
It says, first it says, verse one, again, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse two, for by it, by faith, the men of old gained approval. So by faith, the men of old gained approval from who? From God. So through faith, the men of old, they gained approval. So God's personal experience of them and their faith led to his positive affirmation that they gained approval. They gained favor from God through the faith that they had. So let's take note that all the men and women spoken of in the rest of this chapter gained God's approval. That is perhaps one of the most important things as we look throughout the chapter. It says, by this, for by it, the men of old gained approval. And then it's going to give the big list. So in all of the scenarios listed throughout chapter 11, all of those individuals gained approval by God for their faith. So this puts the focus of real faith on God himself. By faith, through faith, these men of old were accepted. It doesn't say they felt faith and drummed it up enough to see results. It says that by faith, the men of old gained approval from God. So then in verse three, by faith, so that this is gonna begin the list of all of the different aspects of faith. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So here's a basic statement that the word of God is to be believed. By faith, we understand. We do not have a scientific document with God's thumbprint on it sent down from heaven to explain scientifically exactly how and when the world came into being with all these modern scientific proofs. We don't have that. It says, by faith, we understand that the, wor- that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. In other words, that God spoke the world into existence. We believe the biblical account by faith. So faith is connected to belief. Faith is connected to belief that doesn't have necessarily all of the modern proofs that we want. So by faith, we can understand. Faith can lead to understanding. We accept what God says through faith. All right, and then verse three, or page three, verse four. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. We all know that story. It's been a confusing story to many people. We see this offering. One was a hunter, he offered meat. The other was a farmer, he offered vegetables. How many of you in the back of your mind, you're like, why did God reject the vegetables? Because God is not a vegetarian. (laughs) All right, maybe not. Right, But, but here it gives us the key. It's related to faith. God was not just this vindictive God that was in a bad mood that day, rejecting the offering He specifically says that Abel offered to God a better sacrifice because he had faith. So what what else can we learn from this? Faith can be acted on through offering God something. By faith, Abel offered. So faith can therefore obtain God's approval through an act of offering. We can offer something to God What is an offering? Is an offering something that I voluntarily give or or is it something that God is demanding? This is a little bit different than just 
obedience in response to a command. It says, by faith he offered. So there's, the, there's something in God that is pleased with us offering something to God in faith. And it pleased God. And then in verse five, we see something completely different. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. So here, if you look at the verb tenses in Hebrew, which I'm sure all of you have done that prior to this class, Enoch was the passive recipient of God's active action. So I can do something actively or passively, right? I can actively run myself into that wall. Or I could passively feel the breeze of the heat brushing over my face. One is an active it's real, my experience is real, I could really hurt myself running into the wall. Or it's also a real experience to passively feel the wind or the breeze or the HVAC air hitting me. In this case, it says Enoch, by faith, Enoch was, take, was taken up. In other words, he was the passive recipient of God taking him. God took him because of Enoch's faith, he was pleasing to God. So God released his favorable witness upon Enoch, and Enoch obtained it passively. The only thing Enoch was actively doing in this passage was pleasing God. Enoch was actively pleasing God. In other words, he was participating. He was doing something before God that was pleasing to God. He was actively participating in pleasing God. And then God passive or God actively acted upon him and took him up. And Enoch passively received it. If you're not thoroughly confused by my frequent use of the term active and passive, essentially, faith can lead to God actively acting upon us and us passively receiving. Often, when you are having people pray for you, or you're having people, let's say, pray for you to receive you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or pray for you to receive healing, sometimes people struggle with this reality of active-passive. Do, like, do, I, do I reach out and grab it, or do I passively wait for God to hit me? Sometimes faith is us living faith actively with God and then God actively doing something that I can't initiate. In other words, I'm, I'm a passive recipient. Faith can do that. I have had that happen to me where I am generally before God, I'm pursuing God, but then suddenly God tangibly does something in me, through me, on my behalf that's, I didn't initiate. I didn't make happen. I didn't grip my teeth. I didn't, I didn't tighten a certain muscle in my body. I didn't position myself in some special way to receive from God. So faith can do that. Faith, God can actively come down and release something, and I become a passive recipient. So and then in verse 6, it says, without faith... It is impossible to please him. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Here we have a definitive statement that faith is required to please God. So it's pretty important that we understand what faith is. We must believe that God exists and that God rewards those who diligently seek him. And back in verse 1, we have the general definition of faith and then various examples of faith in the lives of Abel and Enoch. So we see in these two phrases 
related to us and our special relation to him. So first it says coming to God. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So we have these two phrases, coming to God, references moving towards God, and seeking him, references diligently reaching. In other words, if you look at the Hebrew, in those two phrases, you'll see something slightly different. Coming to God is approaching him. Seeking God is an active reaching. So here we have, it appears to be, you could say it's two different stages of pursuit of God. We can generally move towards God, and then in certain times in our life, God can stir us to a level of hunger and desperation to where we begin actively reaching. And how many of you know that's different? I have had times and seasons in my life where by the grace of God, you enter into a more definitive reach for God that is different from generally being in the midst of God, generally walking towards him slowly, meandering toward the mountain of God. There's a difference. So then in verse seven, it says, by faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. So Noah, in respect, actively prepared the ark as a response to God warning him of coming judgment. So in other words, faith can require an active response directly relating to God's revelation to us. Faith can demand an active response. For Noah, faith was not just passively waiting for God to swipe him up in the midst of judgment. Faith required that he, in reverence and the fear of the Lord and obedience, that he prepare. So I, I hope you're seeing at this point that faith has far more facets and dynamics than just saying it's an emotionally confident feeling that God's going to do what you want. Faith involves, sometimes faith is very active, sometimes faith is reaching, sometimes faith is, is God acting upon us and we passively receive, sometimes faith is obedience, sometimes faith is this long-term respectful response. I have to respond to God in faith because he told me something, he warned me of something. So I, in reverence, I respond to faith with real action that takes effort on my, on my hand. So by faith, in verse eight, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So faith led Abraham to obey God when God summoned him. There was an authoritative demand for his participation. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. So the question is, does obedience happen? Can I obey before God tells me what to obey? Have you ever felt uncertain or have you ever felt uneasy being like, I, I, I need to obey God, I need to obey God, but I don't know what he's saying. We should have confidence that if God has not made clear to us what to do, then it's not an issue of disobedience if we're wanting to know what he wants us to do and he hasn't yet revealed it to us, Right? So we need to have an underlying confidence in the goodness of God that yes, there are times when God releases a command to us that we need to obey, 
But it says when he was called, he obeyed. In other words, Abraham's obedience came after the clarity of the call. God didn't give him all the details, but God told him enough for it to be officially for it, to, for it to be officially a requirement for his obedience. Abraham didn't do anything prior to God's timing, and Abraham wasn't missing it or disobeying prior to the command. And then in continuing on this story of Abraham, it says in verse 9, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. So after Abraham's active obedience and response to God's command to move, Abraham lived in the land of promise. He lived in the right location, the very land promised to him, but he had no possession of the land. Are you following? He obeyed God. He left his old land with no knowledge of where he was going, he then found himself in the promised land, but he had no right to it yet. He, had, he, he did not own it. There were foreigner or there were other groups of people living amongst the land. So after his active obedience and faith, he now must walk out the extremely mundane living. He was, he was in the right place, but it was not God's time to release the promise to him. He lived in the tension of faith without possession of the promise for decades. He lived in the tension of faith without the promise being manifested for decades. So we all want prophetic words, dynamic encounters, and moments of surging, vibrant faith but this too is faith. It says, by faith he lived. I mean, just think about that phrase just for a minute. By faith he lived. By faith he lived. This is faith that gained God's approval. By faith he obeyed God's command to leave, to go, to, to enter into a new, to a new land, to not own it, to wander around it in a tent, and then he embarked on the ridiculously slow moment by moment, day by day process of living. How many, how many of us does that sound like super exciting? Faith that gains God's approval is live. Obey God. Go to the place that he's told you to go. And then Live. So how does this fit within the, the modern charismatic construct of wanting to hear God speak of, give, of, of the release of prophetic words into our life and we often get super excited about that. Oh, God's called you to be this. God's called you to go do that. How many of you know on the backside of any, of any and all of those encouraging prophetic words is something like this? Go live. Do the hard work, right? I mean, in the case of Noah, here's the surging prophetic word. Rain's coming. What's rain? I don't know, but it's coming. Hurry up, get ready. The surging prophetic word, it's powerful. But then he had to do the stuff. He had to cut down the trees. He had to create a million pounds of sawdust with rudimentary tools. He had to live in light of the promise. And the Bible says faith, by faith he lived. I mean, I'm, I'm settling into this phrase for a, for a purpose. To me, it's phrases like this that unlock our understanding of what real faith is that grounds us for long-term success in God. By faith, he lived. Faith that gained God's approval sometimes is that 
day in, day out, month in, month out. I'm living before God in the land of promise without having the promise. I'm where God wants me to be, but the explosion of breakthrough and answered prayer and the thing that I want the most isn't here. That too is faith that gains God's approval. So we want powerful faith to see the mountain move within three days of praying. How many of you are like that? We want powerful, emotionally charged faith with a certainty that God's going to move within three days of the prayer. But this long-term, hard-to-walk-out faith is also faith that makes the cut. And then verse 10, it continues on. It says, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. When we see the word looking, we might think that Abraham was actively searching. But in the Greek, here it means to wait and look forward to something. Abraham wasn't actively trying to help God build his city. He was in faith living the the mundane and waiting for God's promise. So it says he was looking for the city. He was not every day walking another few miles looking looking for a city. He was living in hope that God would release the city, that God would bring about the ultimate answer. Abraham literally can't make it happen. He can only live one day at a time with hope and expectation that God would prove himself faithful. Because what type of city was he looking for? A city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. It did not say that he was looking for a city whose architect and builder was God and Abraham. And Abraham, in a surge of emotional strength, was going to help God build the city. That's not what it says. Sometimes this, too, is faith, where God says things that are bigger than us. They're bigger than what we can put our hands to and accomplish. They're bigger than, than, than me just having a a surge of commitment where I grit my teeth and I say, God, we can do this together. In this case, Abraham maintained faith for decades as he waited with confident expectation that God would fulfill his promise. And then verse 11, it says, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. You ever, heard, you ever read this one and been like, wait, what? Like, does this line up with the actual story of Sarah? In the actual story, I, I think I remember Sarah laughing, Sarah having unbelief, Sarah being rebuked for her unbelief, And then Sarah basically kind of half lying about it and being like, no, 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 no. I'm not not, not actually in unbelief. So in in self-protection mode, hiding her unbelief. But here it says, by faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive. Even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. How many of you know it's more important to end up in a state of resting in God and a state of trusting him? It's more important to end in that state than to begin in that state. Right? I mean, the Bible gives other examples of like, it's better. If God tells you to do something and you say no, and then you actually do it, then for the person who God tells you to do something and you say yes, and then you turn the other way and don't do it. So to me, this example being put into this list of 
people that approve that were approved by God for their faith, to me, this puts this raw boots on the ground reality of Sarah didn't have what in our mind what we would call perfect faith, but yet it gained God's approval. How many of you are thankful for that? Because all of us, we can all look at a time or season of our life and beat ourselves up saying, you lacked faith. You, you failed. Why didn't you have faith? Why didn't you believe? All of us can feel that. I mean, even related to things and times in our life. My dad passed away in the midst of COVID. I was praying for him to be healed. In the flesh, there could be temptation for me to beat myself up and say, I did, why, did, why didn't you have enough faith? Why didn't you rise up in faith? Why didn't you fast more days? Why didn't you stomp your feet more? Why didn't you amp up your emotions more? Why didn't you desperately cry out more? But here it says, by faith, Sarah herself received. Even in the midst of her imperfection, even in the midst of her stumbling in unbelief, she ultimately considered God faithful. And God therefore approved her. So faith therefore can be pleasing to God even though manifested in weakness. This isn't just a list of superhero faith. And that's important. So then verse 12. It says, therefore, there, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. God fulfilled a promise to a woman that according to our earthly standards failed in her faith. Praise God. I mean, that, that is such an encouragement. And then we get to verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises and having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. I don't know how many of you have read and thought about this verse but if we're going to rightly understand faith that gains God's approval, this has to be a key verse that is in our understanding. All of these died in faith. What kind of faith? Faith that gained God's approval. Faith that made the cut. And then it says, without receiving the promises. Wait a second. Let's look at our underlying assumptions. Oftentimes in the church, as we enter into this life of faith, as we hear stories, radical stories of God breaking in, we associate faith with breakthrough. If you had real faith, there would have been breakthrough. If you had real faith, so-and-so would have been healed. If you had real faith, the marriage wouldn't have fallen apart. If you had real faith, right, there's that, there's that thing that we feel whether internally or externally from someone else, that feeling that real faith has answers, that real faith brings breakthrough. But here we see something completely different. These died in faith having, without receiving the promise. All of the individuals gained God's approval for their faith. They died without receiving what was ultimately promised them. The Greek here shows that they greeted happily. They anticipated with pleasure the promises that were a great distance away and far ahead of time. They greeted with pleasure. They happily received the positive report of God that God was going to do great things lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of years ahead of them. And yet we live in a generation that it's like, give me, 
give me the word of the Lord that's going to come to pass within 30 days. And if it doesn't come to pass within 30 days, ah, we get frustrated. But faith that gains God's approval includes this reality that we would, from a far distance, we would accept the positive report of what God is going to do, the positive report of God's redemptive story unfolding. We would receive that with joy, knowing that some of us will pass away and not see it. So how does this statement uncover and confront our basic beliefs about what faith is and what faith accomplishes? If I believe that real faith brings miracles, then I will wrongly conclude that if I had possessed real faith, then my dad wouldn't have passed away. This is a common and painful belief that derails people, real people. This isn't just a theological concept that rounds out our understanding. Real people, real scenarios, real pain, real loss, real crisis that people face. And because, perhaps, of an unfinished, imperfect understanding of what real faith is, they accidentally get offended at God thinking, well, this is all a sham. I felt faith, and I didn't see a result. But if, we're, if, we're, if, if, if that becomes the center of our understanding of faith, then we are setting ourselves up for offense. Do I want to feel faith? Absolutely. I have stories that I could tell that I don't have time to tell of times where I felt dynamic faith, real manifested faith in my emotions, in my soul, in my body. I felt faith and saw results. Other times I felt faith and saw nothing. So my understanding of faith has to be bigger and outside of just the realm of feeling. So verse 14, it says, For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And then verse 15, And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. So our focus determines and amplifies our motivation and movement toward the thing we are focusing on. What does that mean? In other words, if I am focused on what God failed to deliver in spite of my passionate faith, I will be tempted to return to the old way of prior to Christ living. It says if they had been thinking of the country that they left, they would have had opportunity to return. In other words, where I put the seat of my emotions, where I put my mind largely determines the direction of my feet. If my mind and my emotions are focused on what I have lost by turning toward Christ, then I will be enticed to return. Or in the case of faith, if my mind and my emotions are focused on what I think should have happened as a result of my vibrant emotional faith, and I'm focused on that, then I will be tempted to, in line with that thinking, reinforce the reality that God isn't good or I didn't really have enough faith, both of which are detrimental belief systems. So what I think and how I feel and if those conclusions are really biblical matters. And then verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So these last three verses, they communicate that their desire and expectation of God's ultimate fulfillment of his promises was of greater value than the tangible benefits 
of the life and physical possession of the land they left. In other words, they focused on the promise. And in focusing on the promise, they were not enticed to walk away from honoring God by forsaking the call of God and going back. And we face that all the time. Every season of our life will be faced with the opportunity to stir up in our mind and emotions levels of negativity based upon false expectations that will entice us to walk away as opposed to staying the course, putting the central focus of our heart upon, you know what? I don't care how long it takes, God's faithful. The object of my faith is God, not in the nuances of what I think he did or didn't say. Understand, there's, there's a difference between the authoritative scripture and what this speaks of what's coming in the future and what I perceive to be God's voice. In my perception of, of hearing God's voice, I could be right, I could be wrong. I could feel right, I could feel wrong. I could have psychological certainty of things that are untrue or I could be really stirred up by God for things that are true. But more importantly is the orientation of my heart towards God. Am I trusting him? Am I trusting him in spite of how long it does or doesn't take? That's more important than whether or not every detail of what I think God said is true or not. More importantly is the overall orientation of my heart. If my heart is pure before him, then God can work out the details. God can correct me. God can take things that I believed and refine them. God can suddenly, actively drop into my future things that I didn't earn because it was God's sovereign will for me to encounter something. Or he can give me a command that I then have to walk out over the long journey. But in all of those nuanced statements, what's most important is do I trust him? Do I trust him? And that's, that's the testimony of these individuals. They desire a better country, a heavenly one. God is not ashamed to be called their God. In light of decades of waiting and wandering, and even multiple generations of waiting for God's promise, they chose to stay the course. Think about that. We're talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are multiple generations. Multiple generations chose to stay the course that they didn't even just set for themselves. Their dad set eyes on, on God and on the course. And their grandfather set eyes on God and on the course. So they're choosing to, in obedience and in hope, believe God regarding promises that were bigger than them, bigger than their father. That is a level of steadfastness and faith that I think confounds our modern generation. Notice that God having no shame of our belonging to him is not related to the size or power or emotional strength of our faith, but it is instead connected to the foundational hard choice of not giving up hope in God's ultimate promises, even though the day-to-day -day waiting is hard. It says God is not ashamed to be called their God. His approval of them was deeper than the emotional surge of faith that I'm sure came and went in various seasons because the long-term trajectory of their life was one foot in front of the other, one season after the other, I'm going to believe God. The emotions will come and go. It's, some seasons are emotionally taxing and others are emotionally exhilarating. But perhaps more important than that is what direction is your feet in? And is your heart remaining tender and open? 
So, and then it says, verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Here we see a new aspect of faith. This is faith during an active test coming from God himself. How many of you are like, sign me up? Lord, test me. Pressure me. Challenge me. This is another aspect of faith that gains God's approval. A confusing scenario that would incite pain, fear, anxiety of what? Did I hear God? Did he, is he actually telling me to offer up my only son, the son that supposedly is going to give me this multitude of generations that are more in number than the stars? So Abraham offered Isaac in the midst of testing as an obedient response. Faith is therefore often tested, and it can be tested by God himself. And this is faith that gains God's approval. In other words, faith that gains God's approval is not simply the absence of testing. Sometimes we will still be called upon and challenged to walk through things that seem absolutely they're not logical, they don't make sense, they're emotionally fraught with challenge and difficulty, and yet in the end, it pleases God, and God's in control, and God was going to bring the breakthrough. And I will finish with this. Verse 18, it says, it was he to whom it was said, it, in Isaac your descendant shall be called. And then verse 19, he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Here we see the second example of someone considering God in light of the promise. He considered that God is able. This is in the midst of emotional upheaval, in the midst of an emotional Pressure that he's never felt in his entire life. He chose to consider that God is able to raise him from the dead. In other words, the command of God to offer Isaac as a sacrifice and the promise of God to use Isaac to multiply Abraham's descendants, they seem contradictory. How is the command and the promise reconciled? Abraham left that up to God. The command that God was going to use his son and the command to kill his son were, there's, there's no logical way to think through that. But his heart leapt in faith and said, you know what, even if my son dies, the God that I serve is capable of raising him back to life. That is faith that pleases God. And that is faith that we cannot drum up in our own emotions. That is not psychological certainty by sticking our fingers in our ears and saying, la, 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 I'm only going to believe the truth. Faith that pleases God is that faith that in humility and often in weakness, we fall upon the promises of God and say, God, only you can accomplish it. But I'm not going to accuse you. I'm not going to challenge you. I'm not going to wage war against you. I'm going to trust. I'm going to wait. I'm going to suffer. And you're going to prove yourself faithful. Amen. There is much more to be said that will be said next week. So, Lord, we thank you, God, for your word. Father, we pray that you would gift us, Lord, with faith that gains your approval. Father, we don't know how to stir it up in our own strength. Father, but we pray that you would deposit faith in us. God, that you would nurture faith in us. God, that you would 
awaken faith in us. God, you would gift us with the conviction to lock our eyes on you long-term. God, we pray you give us endurance, faith that endures. God, long-suffering, faith that, that doesn't quit, faith that remains steady. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would release faith into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed. We will see you next week. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time, 